Hello, and welcome to the Hasta La Visa Baby podcast, a deep dive into U.S. immigration law and its relationship to fictitious characters in television and film. My name is Shai Dayan. I am an immigration attorney with Gibney, Anthony, and Flaherty, and I'm based in Los Angeles, California. And joining me today, as he does for every episode, he's also an immigration attorney. He's also with Gibney, Anthony, and Flaherty, but he's based in New York, and he has one simple request, and that is to have sharks with frickin' laser beams attached to their heads. <laughs> That's right. It's Mr. Roderick Potts. Hey, Shy, how are you? Rod, I heard something incredible. I heard that you are fully vaccinated and ready to be shot back into the world. That I am. I have. I got my second shot uh, almost a week ago, so I've got one week left, and then I'll be out there, baby, and I'll be loving every minute of it. Are you feeling good? Feeling better now. Had a little, a little under the weather for a couple of days, but back on top. You know who's probably not feeling good? The conspiracy theory people who think that you've volunteered yourself for being tracked by whoever it is that might want to track you. Everybody knows where I am right now. I got microchips floating, flowing throughout my body. And speaking of jokes, we're going to talk about movies today that uh, it, yeah. are parodies. We're going to talk about the parody genre. Um, or the spoof genre, if you will. And and you and I, I think this fits well for us because we like to joke around from time to time. We're not just serious lawyers all the time. We like to party. That's right. That's... So today we're going to talk about, you know, parody spoof movies. And I think something that you and I were talking about is how difficult a good parody and a good spoof movie is to make, isn't it? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, if you will, I think there's there's some ingredients to making a big, uh, a good spoof movie. I think one of the things is that the spoof has to be based upon a story that's well known. You can't make a successful spoof it's a, if it's based on something obscure, wouldn't you say? Definitely. Like a, a, either a specific story or like a genre or something. You, ha you have to have something rich to draw from. Definitely. And, and I think you need more than one source material. Like it's really fun to make a spoof movie about one movie or one genre in particular. But if you could incorporate a lot of different genres or different sources into it, it makes it appealing to even more people. Agreed. Definitely. And I think also when it comes to doing a spoof, it's one thing to do a five minute Saturday Night Live skit where you're making fun of something. But to keep people's attention for 90 minutes to 120 minutes, not easy. Definitely not. And I think, you know, what we were talking about before is that like, you know, the movie or, or the, you know, the, the parody, whatever it is, should be able to stand on its own. You know, it, even it, it needs to be based, like you said, on a, on a well-known story, but it needs to be able, you should be able to enjoy it without knowing the, the source material. It should be able to stand on its own, you know, where totally, that, you know. totally agree. And speaking of being able to enjoy something without knowing the source material, let's talk about immigration law, shall we? Sure. Let's, let's do it. So just to give everybody a refresher about what it is that we do here, we make immigration law great again. And the way we do that is every episode, we focus on a particular movie or television show that features a foreign national character living in the US. We are going to do a deep dive into the movie or television show, focusing on the specific foreign national character. We are going to use our immigration detective skills to figure out what the character's U.S. visa status may have been, what problems or issues the character may have faced living in the U.S., and we are going to talk about a hypothetical consultation 
if the character came to us to ask for advice. And very important, even though some of these movies and shows took place years ago, we are going to imagine that all characters are living in a 2021 U.S. immigration world. So that's how we make immigration law great again. Sounds like a plan, Shai. So to carry out the plan, we need you to tell us about the movies that we are going to be talking about today. And those movies are the Austin Powers Trilogy. So Rod, please take it away. Let us know everything we need to know about this trilogy. All right, sure. And I think what, what we'll do is, is you know, in the interest of expediency, we'll, we'll condense everything down really quickly and we'll just cover the whole trilogy instead of go mo- going movie by movie. You know, the details aren't important. Uh, Good so anyway, so the movies, the, the Austin Powers trilogy is comprised of three movies, 1997's Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, 1999's The Spy Who Shagged Me, and 2002's Gold Member. The film star Mike Myers in several different roles, most notably the title character of Austin Powers and his arch nemesis, Dr. Evil. The movies are pretty much, they're largely a parody of the James Bond series. And uh, the character of Austin is depicted as a, as, a, as a womanizing, swinging, crushed velvet suit wearing English spy who really encapsulates 1960s mod swinging hippie culture. When Dr. Evil escapes powers back in 1967, he does so by cryogenically freezing himself, and uh, Austin follows suit. They both unfreeze back in, 197, in 1997 and find themselves out of touch with life in the 90s, and they embark on a series of, sort of cat and mouse capers, usually involving some sort of outlandish terrorist plan by Dr. Evil, which only Austin Powers can stop. Time travel plays a big part in in this series, and various parts of the films take place in the 60s, 70s, and the 1990s. And much like the Bond movies, each movie features a love interest for for our hero spy. Elizabeth Hurley, Heather Graham, and Beyonce all take turns playing the roles of of Austin's love interest in in these various films. First time on the Hasta La Visa Baby podcast that we're doing three movies at once. Not an easy task, but if someone's gonna do it, we're going to be the ones to do that. We're biting off quite a bit. We're ready. So I think we can't talk about the Austin Powers trilogy without talking about the source material. And that source material is the James Bond movie franchise. You and I, big fans of James Bond. We, yes, indeed. What are your thoughts about James Bond, Rod? I've been watching these the James Bond movies pretty much my entire life. I used to watch them with my dad when I was a kid. Yeah, and me so- too. My dad so, used to rent these movies from Blockbuster, and I was way too young to watch a lot of them, and my mom was not pleased. She said there was too much too much sex, as she said. Bad role model, James sure. Bond. Sure, yeah. But well, my dad said, watch it. <laughs> there you go. That's, uh, and that's, that's that, that's that. you know, both parents, the yin and the, yin and the yang of human existence, really, is what it yeah. is. Is right there. So yeah, like a lot of the, you know, the, the movies, a lot of which are out, you know, it's interesting to watch them, to watch the same movies sometimes over and over again over the course of my lifetime, because sometimes they become more outlandish. Sometimes they become less outlandish. You know, they, it's, it's interesting to, to be able to revisit the same movies over and over again as I, you know, mature and grow old. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to see. And as my tastes change, you know, which, which movies are now more appealing that weren't so appealing before, you know, that kind of thing. So. And so, so much from Austin Powers comes from James Bond, whether it's so the much. villains, the love interests, the, the 60s, 
it's just so funny the way that they take what was classic about James Bond, they just put it into Austin Powers. And it just, especially yeah. if you're a James Bond fan, it just, you know, hits all the right lights, doesn't it? Yeah. And it shows that, you know, the James Bond series, the James Bond movies have a lot of comedy in them themselves, but the whole series is just one, all of it is one step away from slapstick comedy, you know? Yeah. And they've you, been just, going, you just have to present it differently. You know, it's, they've it's been great. going for 60 years. So even yeah. though a lot of the older movies, you know, might be a little bit outdated, they're definitely holding up. So there's something they're doing right. Yeah, and let and, me ask you this, Rod. Oh, sure. sorry. Sorry. What were you saying? Well, I was going to say, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the, the series has been going for 60 years. I know that the, the general consensus, the general conventional wisdom is that Sean Connery is the number one James Bond. Who would be your second best after Sean Connery, your second favorite James Bond? You and I have this telepathic bond because I was just going to ask you the same question. I see what you did there. Uh, so I think there's only one answer and it might be a bit of a hot take, but the second best James Bond is George Lazenby. Objective now, fact. Yeah, I agree. George, George Lazenby was only in one James Bond. The It was on Her Majesty's Secret Service and he's an Australian and it was one of my favorite James Bonds and he should have been kept in the role because he was an incredible James Bond and all the haters out there, that's your second best James Bond. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also a favorite of mine. My second, he's, he's my second favorite. I love that movie on a magic secret service. Fantastic film. Lots of fun, you know, strongly recommend it to anyone listening who hasn't. All seen right. It. James Bond. That's where, you know, all the jokes from, from Austin Powers come so, from. So many of the jokes, just, the, the crazy outfit with the, with the, with the outlandish cravat. That's, that's all that comes George from Lazenby. Under Secret Service. That's George Lazenby. So yeah, anyone who loves Austin Powers, watch watch Under Majesty's Secret Service, and and you'll 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 get there's a ton in there uh, for sure. Absolutely, Austin Powers borrows heavily from that uh, from that film. And just some interesting facts about the Austin Powers trilogy. Listen to this, Rod. Mike Myers has stated that the idea for Austin Powers came from hearing the Burt Bacharach song. The Look of Love on his car radio one night while driving home from hockey practice. It's in The Look of Love, I believe, was written for the movie Casino Royale, which which is the, sort of the original James Bond spoof. And what do you think about a Canadian being influenced by coming home from hockey practice? Has the a Canadian ever been influenced outside of hockey before? That is a perfect story, and I, and, I, and I love it. I love that it's it's hockey practice. It's perfect. perfect. It can't be better. It can't be better. The three movies generated a combined $678 million at the box office. For over 15 years, talks of a fourth installment have been in the works. As recently as May 2018, Meyer stated his interest in making a fourth film. I don't know if that's such a good idea. Maybe we'll okay. talk about that later. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into it later. I'm not I'm not sure that anyone's really asking for that. But yeah. yeah. And then finally, this is a good one. The character of Dr. Evil was said to be Mike Myers impersonating Saturday Night Live showrunner Lorne Michaels. Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about Lorne Michaels, that's exactly what he sounds like, actually. It is very, yeah, it's spot on impression. So let's get to the gist of this episode. Today... We're going to be focusing on the character known as Dr. Evil. Dr. Evil was played by Mike Myers, and Rod is going to give the listeners a breakdown of Dr. Evil. All right. So Dr. Evil is the sort of the arch nemesis of Austin Powers. He, he, he factors in all three of the films. And Dr. Evil is a Belgian criminal mastermind. And actually, you know what, Shai, instead of talking about Dr. Evil, why don't we just have Dr. Evil tell us about himself? 
So, Dr. Evil, could you please tell us a little bit about your life? The details of my life are quite inconsequential. Oh, come on, Dr. Evil. Why don't you tell us a little something about your childhood? Very well. Where do I begin? My father was a relentlessly self-improving boulangerie owner from Belgium with low-grade narcolepsy and a penchant for buggery. My mother was a 15-year-old French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. My father would womanize, he would drink, he would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. Sometimes he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy, the sort of general malaise that only the genius possess and the insane lament. My childhood was typical. Summers in Rangoon, luge lessons. In the spring, we'd make meat helmets. When I was insolent, I was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with reeds. Pretty standard, really. At the age of 12, I received my first scribe. The age of 14, as a roastery named Vilma, ritualistically shaved my testicles. At the age of 18, I went off to evil medical school. At the age of 25, I took up tap dancing. I wanted to be a quadruple threat, an actor, a dancer. Okay, Dr. Evil, that was a lot of information. Thanks for sharing. But I think Rod can take it from here. Rod, you want to just fill in everybody? Of, of what's necessary here? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Dr. Evil is the, the main antagonist in the Austin Powers franchise, and he's a spoof of the villain known as Blofeld from the James Bond series. We, we don't know what kind of doctor he actually is, but he did state that he went to six years of evil medical school. In the movies, he, he leads a corporation called Virticon Industries, which included ownership of several legitimate companies all over the world. And he was typically accompanied by a, a number of assistants and henchmen, including an eye patch wearing man named Number Two, a miniature clone of himself named Minimi, Frau Farbissina, who's the founder of the militant wing of the Salvation Army, Scott Evil, his biological son, as well as uh, his cat, Mr. Bigglesworth. His goal was to uh, secure world domination through uh, extortion and terror, and his plots were always foiled by Mr. Powers. Were they actually foiled by Mr. Powers? I'm kind of remembering from these movies that Austin was kind of off to the side, womanizing, dancing in his underwear, and it's actually the ladies. They're the ones who actually foiled the plots. That's actually true. There, there's. Uh, you're right, and to be fair, there there is a bit of a sort of a, a an, an Agent eighty six or Mister uh, or Inspector Gadget kind of quality to these movies. In that, yes, he's he's sort of an also ran in the in the problem solving department. Where yes, you are right. The female leads <laughs> of the films generally do you know sort of crack the code and foil the plot. You're right. So credit. Where I just thought due. it was important. Yeah, let's give the ladies credit where the credits do. Um, so. Dr. Evil is Belgian. Now, normally, you know, Rod and I would just listen to accents and we're like, oh, you know, French, oh, Spanish, oh, Indian. But this time we didn't have to use our, you know, accent cracking skills. Dr. Evil tells us he's Belgian. There's many times he does this. At one time, one of my favorite times in the in the series is when he's drinking latte in a Starbucks and he's get he has foam all over his nose. And he says, he says, that's how we drink it in Belgium. It's called a Belgian dip. I love that part. <laughs> yeah, there's also, he gives, he shares a box of Belgian chocolates with Mini-Me. And there's also, he tells a story, I think, with a flashback back into Belgium. 
He does. And, and I believe in Goldmember, he does that. So he does. So plenty of, he, you know, without question, you know, by his own, you know, by his own attestation, he is a Belgian national. So that was pretty easy. Um, was easy. Th- thanks, Dr. Evil, for doing the work for us. Yeah. Um, now, we see Dr. Evil in the United States a few times during this movie series. In the first movie, Dr. Evil spent most of his time in Las Vegas. In the third movie, his secret lair was located behind the Hollywood sign in Los Angeles. But Rod, it's the second movie. That's where we want to focus on our, our attention on because in the beginning of that movie, Dr. Evil is revealed to be at his headquarters at the Space Needle in Seattle, which has a Starbucks logo engraved in it. And further, number two announces that several years ago, Virtucon Industries invested a small invested in a small Seattle-based coffee company called Starbucks. So here's the situation, everybody. We know Dr. Evil is Belgian. We know that he is the head of a Belgian corporation called Virtucon, which is heavily invested and possibly even running several Starbucks coffee shops in the United States. So the question is, how did Dr. Evil do this? Because as you all know from last month's episode about Immigration 101, you need a visa to do this. So this is where we're going to get into the visa discussion and talk about what kind of visa Dr. Evil may have had. So, Rod, I was thinking that Dr. Evil, a money man, I think that he would have liked an investor visa. And I'm thinking that Dr. Evil might have been in the U.S. pursuant to the E2 Treaty Investor Visa. So what do you I, think I'm, about that? I'm inclined to agree with you. I think it's very clear that by starting VirtuCon in the United States, he did invest in a business. So let's take a look and see whether or not, you know, that business might have, you know, served as a basis for a visa for him. So the E2, that's the category that you, that, uh, that you pointed out, is a visa category which allows individual foreign nationals to invest a substantial amount of money into a U.S. business, then can come to the U.S. to, to, to run that business. The E2 visa program also allows a foreign company to invest a substantial amount of money into an affiliated company or startup in the U.S. so that, you know, that company can be deemed an E2 registered company for, for, for E2 visa purposes. And then, you know, once that company is classified as an E2 company, it can then transfer employees from abroad into the U.S. to work for that U.S. affiliate. And Rod, let me ask you this question. Let me put you on, on your heels here, if I may. Is the E-2 visa for anybody from any country? No, it's not, Shai. The E-2 visa category is, is not just for anyone from any country at all or for any corporation from any country. The E-2 visa is, is based on treaties that the U.S. has with specific foreign countries. There are over 50 countries that the U.S. maintains such treaties with. The E-2 visa is only available to people who hold the nationalities or corporations that hold the nationalities or companies that hold the nationalities of countries with whom the U.S. has these these treaties. A very selective visa process. It's just not for everybody. You have to be part of a a select group. Got to come from the right country. Wow. Wow. How about the amount of money? Because I know that this is an investment visa. So is there a rule that says how much money the individual or the corporation has to invest in the company in the United States? Thank you for asking, Shai. That's a very good question. Oh, you're welcome, Rod. You're welcome. (laughs) There isn't a precise figure. There's no specific minimum to be invested. There's no precise measure of the amount of money that needs to be invested. But but generally, the investment has to be enough to ensure a successful operation of the business enterprise that's being invested in. 
different types of businesses, as you can probably guess, certain different types of businesses in different industries are going to require different levels of investment. And, you know, generally the U.S. embassy or consulate where the individual is applying will make that determination and, and will will also seek evidence of where the invested money is coming from. Yeah, because clients are always asking us, Shai, Rod, how much money do I have to invest into the company? And it's not an easy answer because there is no precise answer. It really depends, it depends. upon the industry. Some companies require, you know, maybe $50,000. Some require a million dollars. It's all over the place. How much It's is up that? to the lawyers. One million dollars. <laughs> did I pull that off well? You did. Fantastic. I had to give it a try. Sorry out there for anybody who didn't like it, but no, actually, like no, I'm, talking, I'm not sorry. It's like I'm talking to Lauren Michaels himself. Thank you, Rod. Thank you, Rod. Because <laughs> that's the goal, to have the power of Lauren Michaels. Oh, here's a good question for you, Rod. Sure. Can somebody with an E-2 visa stay in the U.S. forever? No, they cannot, Shy. <laughs> the, the, the E-2 visa is not meant to allow someone to remain permanently in the U.S. It is, it's, it's a visa that uh, is what we refer to in the immigration field as it's a temporary intent visa. All E-2 visa holders must maintain an intention to, to return to their home countries. Rod, you did a great job explaining to me what an E-2 visa is. I think the listeners out there will, will, will write to you and, and thank you as well. So why not apply the E-2 visa to Dr. Evil? So let's start with this, okay? Dr. Let's. E- yeah, let's. Dr. Evil, he's Belgian. Is Belgium one of the countries that the U.S. has a treaty with? Belgium is indeed a, an E-2 treaty country. We've had Whoa. an E-2 treaty with Belgium since, guess, I'm going to say since the 1960s when the original James Bond movies came out. Yeah, baby. <laughs> so shagadelic. <laughs> <laughs> so considering Dr. Evil is Belgian and considering he's the head honcho of Virtucon, is it reasonable to conclude that Virtucon is also a majority owned Belgian corporation? So this is where we get really lawyerly and we would want to look at the stock certificates and the you know, the corporation, the documentation, the corporate documentation. But we can just say probably if, if Dr. Evil is the head of the corporation, it's fairly likely that Virtucon is a company with a Belgian majority ownership. Let's just assume for simplicity's sake, he owns at least half the stock of the corporation. That would make it Belgian. That would make the company of Belgian nationality. And then it would qualify for nationality purposes as a potential E2 company. So this is all sounding really good for Dr. Evil and for Virtucon. So far, it sounds good. We know for a fact that Virtucon has invested in Starbucks in the U.S. Starbucks, listen to this, Rod. I did some research. I prepared for everybody out there. Starbucks, do. Starbucks does not sell franchises. However, they do offer licensed stores for purchase. And I've heard that those licenses are quite expensive. I bet. So Virtucon, what they could have done is they could have created a subsidiary company in the U.S., They could have invested a substantial amount of capital for Virtucon in the U.S. to purchase licenses to open Starbucks stores in the U.S. Sounding good so far? So far. How about this? Once Virtucon was approved by the U.S. Embassy in Belgium as an E2 registered company, I think Virtucon could have transferred Dr. Evil into the U.S. in an executive capacity. All that tracks so far. Yeah. Now, I think, you know, considering Dr. Evil, he's a criminal mastermind. He probably was conducting a lot of shady business. There may have been all kinds of roadblocks for him to be approved for an E-2 visa. But here's the thing, everybody. In the movie, he's in the U.S. So somehow he got around it. So, 
you know, don't blame our logic here. Blame the movies. I mean, it's a fact that the man got a visa. He couldn't have been in the U.S. without a visa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So, to, so to tie it all up together, Dr. Evil, he had an E2 visa. Virtucon was a majority-owned Belgian corporation. They set up an affiliate in the U.S. to buy Starbucks licenses, and they transferred Dr. Evil to the U.S. to run those Starbucks locations. What do you say, Rod? I, I think this all sounds incredibly clean. Do you think Mike Myers consulted with immigration attorneys when they were writing this part of the movie? They must you know, must... when I well, when I was rewatching the film, I, I, I was thinking about this and I would say decidedly no. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah, because he would have worked. He would have worked it as a decent screenwriter. He would have worked it into the plot somehow. So. Yeah, for all the movie makers out there, for the writers, if you need anybody to consult with about how to put immigration properly into your movie, come to us. Yes, yeah, we've done this on many occasions. Many occasions. This is the fifth time. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're pretty good at this. Pretty, pretty good at this. We consider ourselves pretty good at it. Well, let's keep the 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 comedy going, Rod. Let's keep the jokes going. Let's talk right. about let's talk about parodies. Some people say we might be a parody of immigration, but you know, come on. Anyway, over the I've years, heard that before. Yeah. yeah, over the years, there have been many parody movies. Some of them hits, some of them mm-hmm. misses. So I wanted mm-hmm. to just throw some misses at, at you and just get your first reaction about these misses. Okay, I'm just gonna throw them out there. Okay, sure. Here are some misses. Ready? Scary movie. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, disaster yeah, movie. I didn't see that one. Yeah, you should. Don't don't see it. Don't not <laughs> not another teen movie. I, I I did not see that one either. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah, yeah. Dracula. Fortunately, Dracula Dead and Loving It. Dracula Dead and Loving It. I had high hopes for because it was a Mel Gibson film, and I was very uh, disappointed. Uh, Mel Gibson, Mel Brooks. Yeah, yeah. yeah Mel yeah. Gibson is is another is another, uh, yeah. a Shonda, if you will. He's a different problem. A Shonda, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know what that means out there, look it up. Anyway, yeah. but there are definitely a lot of parody hits. Rod, you have any standout parody hits? Sure. Yeah. I love This is Spinal Tap. A great parody is, is Airplane. Nice. And then, of course, a Mel Brooks movie that did hit the mark, of course, Blazing Saddles. Mel Brooks definitely hit the mark with so many of his parody movies. For me, there's one parody movie that stands the test of time as the greatest parody ever made. And I am 100% sure that you have the same number one parody movie. So I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to let you say it. Tell me what the number one parody movie of all time is and tell me why. It's Spaceballs. Bam. Of course it's Spaceballs. Yeah. yeah uh, I think that that's it. That's an, another objective fact. For everybody out there, we just wanted to use this episode to talk about a movie we can never talk about on this podcast, Spaceballs, because it doesn't take place in America and it doesn't involve it doesn't involve immigration. So we just used Austin Powers as a conduit to talk about Spaceballs. But (laughs) as a huge Star Wars fan, of course, I love Spaceballs. It's a spoof Mm -hmm. of it's a, a spoof of Star Wars. Instead of the Force, we have the Schwartz. Instead of Darth Vader, we have Dark Helmet. Instead of Yoda, we have Yogurt. It's just, I watched these movies with my brother growing up so many times. Yeah, I watched we would, them with all my friends growing up, yeah. We we memorized basically the whole movie. Till this day, my brother and I get together and we can just recite lines from this movie back and forth out of nowhere. My wife hates it, but we do it. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and same with me. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm always, you know, there are certain people I can share, ref, you know, Spaceballs references with. 
on a regular basis, you being one of them, of course. But then, you know, when you're around the wrong person and you throw out a Spaceballs line and it, it goes unappreciated, <laughs> it's a very disappointing thing. You know, this movie, it stars Rick Moranis, John Candy, Bill Pullman, Joan Rivers. Big shots, it's real got big shots. shots. Daphne Zuniga. It's good. It's got everybody. Uh, you Dick know, Van got... Patten. Dick Van Patten. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Jim J. Bullock. Jim you know, J. Bullock. From Hollywood Squares. It really is. Uh, it's just a, a fantastic movie. The only, the only disappointing thing about Spaceballs is... Is that we never got Spaceballs 2, the search for more money. Exactly. Yep. But, as, but as Mel Brooks said, God willing, we'll get it one day. God willing, we'll all meet again. So, yeah, listen, if you haven't seen Spaceballs, see it. It's so funny. Even if you don't like Star Wars, just, just give it a go. It's worth it. Yeah. It's worth it. Back to immigration. Sorry we have to leave Spaceballs, but back to immigration. Let's, <laughs> do, let's do a hypothetical consultation with our boy Dr. Evil, all right? Sure. Dr. Evil is a dangerous fellow, okay? He's an international criminal. He's killed people. So mm. we're not going to we're not going to one of his lairs. No, we're definitely def- not. Definitely not sitting in any piece of furniture that he owns because we know that he used that furniture to electrocute people. That's right. You have any suggestions of where we might want to hold this meeting? Because we like to hold meetings outside the office. That's what we do. As a Belgian, it probably would be very appropriate to bring him to a Belgian beer garden. <laughs> Rod, what a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> Belgians have good beer and uh, Dr. Evil loves Belgium. So why not make him feel at home? Go have a sip on a delirium tremens. Oh, the table together. What about Mini Me? Would you invite Mini Me? No, he bites. <laughs> Has nothing to do with attorney-client privilege. He bites. Yeah. So He's here's a vicious the, little guy. So, oh man, no. nasty, nasty, nasty yeah. little bugger. Um, <laughs> Considering Dr. Evil is a big-time investor, we know that he has an E2 visa. It's not up for discussion. He has an E2 visa. Maybe Dr. Evil is looking for a more permanent situation in the U.S. So he comes to us, he comes to Shai and Raj, and he wants to know, how do I stay in the U.S. on a permanent basis? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with another investor visa program, but this time it's the EB5 investor visa program. This is a hot program. A lot of people talk about it. It's as hot as you can get as far as immigration is concerned. And Rod, what do you know about the EB-5 investor visa program? So the EB-5 is really the, um, it's sort of the green card analog to the e-investor visa. So the EB-5 program, it enables a foreign national to invest considerable amount of money into a business enterprise in the U.S., which, which then leads to a green card, which we learned in the last episode is technically referred to as lawful permanent resident status. I learned that. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, we as a community, yeah, the royal we. I actually really did learn that. But anyway, um, <laughs> Rod, are there any rules about what kind of businesses one can invest in? So the rules require that the investment must be in a commercial enterprise in the U.S. You know, commercial enterprise is defined generally as any for-profit activity formed for the ongoing conduct of lawful business in the U.S., which is a slightly tautological definition, but that's what it is. So running a business in the United States is really the answer. A legal business. So, you know, there are, pl- there are plenty of illegal businesses out there. Uh, you that's know, true. we have to tell Dr. Evil, buddy, go straight. You know, it's time to, to, to invest in a legal business. That's and, true. That's true. And what about the amount of money that must be invested? Because when it came to E2... They didn't have a specific amount, but for a green card, I heard otherwise. Is that true? That is true, Shai. It, it, it depends on where you're investing the money. So ah. USCIS has basically turned 
has basically set there's sort of two tiers geographically. Every any place in the United States falls into one of two sort of geographic buckets. One is called a targeted employment area, and that's generally a rural area or or an area that experiences high unemployment. If you are investing in a targeted employment area, the the minimum investment is nine hundred thousand, and that is that's up from it was originally five hundred thousand when the when the classification was was initially created, but it's uh, it's been raised to nine hundred thousand now. So that would be the minimum in a targeted area. Interesting. Um, Investment for you know other areas that's not targeted would be 1.8 million, and that's up from one million dollars, which was the uh, <laughs> that was the original amount when when again when the when the classification was was created, but it's now 1.8 million if you're not investing in those in those uh, in those areas. Those targeted so areas. so that's interesting because unlike the E2 visa, there is a minimum amount that has to be invested. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense because it leads to a green card. So I think the government wants to make sure that a substantial amount of money is actually being invested. And and is it just about investing money? Is it just about basically buying a green card? Or is there anything else the investor must do to secure the green card? The law builds in sort of a safeguard to ensure that the business is actually a legit ongoing concern. And, and one way they do that is to require that the EB-5 investor has to create at least 10 full-time positions in the United States. So you have to not only invest the dollar amount, but create jobs as well. So that's important because there's a lot of criticism of the EB-5 program. People say that this is just a way for rich people to buy a green card. But, you know, conversely, you know, the government wants you to create U.S. jobs, create 10 jobs for, for U.S. employees. So it's more than just investing money. It's also about creating jobs for people. And I heard that creating jobs is something that the um, American people like. That's the word on the street. Yeah. It's a hot topic every election. Who can create the most jobs? That's right. Yeah. Maybe Dr. Evil. <laughs> Dr. Evil is a job creator, if nothing else. <laughs> Does USCIS, that's Citizenship and Immigration Services, do they care where the money comes from? So the, the requirement will generally be that the investor has to prove that the investment comes from legal means, right? So assets that are acquired directly or indirectly by any unlawful means, including you know, criminal activity wouldn't be considered capital that would be legitimate for for an EB-5 investment. Clean money. Clean money. Yeah, it can't come from any criminal source. So, you know, theoretically, he, you know, Dr. Evil might have uh, might have a couple of issues. But the thing is, we already know again that Dr. Evil has an E2 visa. He he did That's this right. once, so why not do it again? You know, That's right. Dr. Evil basically he he already is heavily invested through his Virtucon Corporation, Starbucks. Already heavily mm-hmm. invested. So perhaps when we're talking to Dr. Evil, we'll say, listen, doctor, I have an idea for you. Why not invest some more money into the company in the U.S. and open some more Starbucks locations? Maybe Dr. Evil can think about opening Starbucks in target employment areas so that mm-hmm. his investment only has to be $900,000. But Dr. Evil, he's, he has a lot of money. I feel like just for the hell of it, he would he would want to invest in 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 you know the big cities so he can do that 1.8 million dollar investment mm-hmm. and he probably could he probably should be able to do that yeah yeah. yeah and you know dr evil he'll if he he'll have to create 10 us jobs and he'll have to prove where his money comes from if he can do that then yep. he might have a good eb5 investor case yep which which would which would lead to attainment of a green card for him so everybody out there rod and i have done it again not only have we told you what kind of visa Dr. Evil had, but we're also telling you how we would consult Dr. Evil. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, not many attorneys out there are sharing these types of secrets like we are. We're really trying to bring you into our world, our world of, of fictional craziness. That's right. Yeah, this is this is what we think about. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> wants to know what we think. That's right. <laughs> well, not ev- not everything. We can't we can't share all our secrets. That's true. Let's talk about some overall takeaways from the movie. I'm going to I'm going to throw some things out there, Rod. Let's see if if you can run with them. You ready for this? Sure. Okay. Dr. Evil. He's just another foreigner who has a passion for fashion. In the movie, in the first movie, it's a spoof of James Bond. When James Bond is with the villains, they always dress James Bond up in some crazy outfits. So mm. in, in the first movie, after Dr. Evil captures Austin Powers, Dr. Evil dresses him up in these weird tinfoil looking you know, outfits. And he says, do you like your quasi-futuristic outfits, Mr. Powers? I designed them myself. Dr. Evil, another fashionista. Another fashionista. And, and, and you know, I could I could discuss, you know, men's fashions all day, but you know, I'm, I'm really into pets shy. Is there anything, uh, you know, should we talk about? Yeah, uh... That's a great point because I've noticed a trend in movies and television shows that evil people always have cats. Okay. They love their, yeah. They love their pet I, cats. L- let me tell you about some evil doers who have cats. All right. Blofeld from James Bond, Dr. Evil from Austin Powers. Dr. Claw from a childhood mm. cartoon favorite of ours, Inspector Gadget. Inspector Gadget, sure. How about Cruella DeVille from 101 Dalmatians? What, why do they all have cats? What, what does that say? I, I love did cats. She cats. Did she have cats? Did she have cats? I mean, she wanted the dogs. I did research about this. She, oh, I'm, okay. I, I'm a big-time researcher. Sure. She she had a white Persian cat in she the did. cartoon. Yeah. She wanted to she kill did. the dogs and make... And make uh, for coats out of them. She wanted to make coats out of the dogs. I remember that. But yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I I forget. You know, I I got to rewatch that movie. Got to got to go fire up Disney Plus. Oh, I hope I hope there's a foreign national in that movie. She sounds French to me, Cruella Wait. Deville. Oh man, we might have just had an epiphany over over <laughs> yeah. the airwaves. Um, new episode. I think you're a fan of cats. I'm a fan of cats. Are we evil? Some have said, yeah. Or maybe just quasi evil. Quasi evil, perhaps. <laughs> anyway. How about Austin Powers uh, in the Me Too era? How would he have done? So Austin, you know, we I, I was thinking about this while rewatching these movies. Austin would not do well today. And the reason is because, again, he is, and we have, maybe it's just the movies that we pick. Maybe it's something about what we look for in, a, in, a, in film and TV characters. But this is, yet again, another character who just engages in wildly inappropriate behavior. Austin Powers, you know, in the first movie is, is working with Vanessa Kensington and is, is very overbearing and is wildly inappropriate. And he is with all the women with whom he works. But, you know, I'm just using the first movie as, as the example. Just everything is a constant innuendo. He's leering. He's, you know, this is not a good way, not, not a good working relationship. No, openly propositioning your coworker at the job. No, come on. Come on, Austin. No. British. Yeah. British Secret Service, you got to get the harassment prevention training out there. Come on, get on yeah. top of that. Yeah, yeah. They, you'd be surprised that they didn't, you know, you know, sort of bring him more up to speed of, of 1990s mores. You'd think. Maybe the fourth movie is going to have, you know, uh, Austin Powers up to speed. And, and speaking of, of the fourth movie, don't you think they should have just stopped after after maybe the second movie? I think um, I love Mike yeah. Myers. Mike, thank you for bringing Austin Powers and Dr. Evil into our lives. But they didn't progress very well, did they? No, they did not. I, I agree with you. 
first movie is great. Stands up great. It's a lot of fun. Second movie, okay. The third movie just comes up sort of pale for me, you know, just doesn't. It's a lot of gross out humor, right? Yeah, it's a lot of gross out humor, even in the second one with the, with the you know, the fat bastard character. It's just. Yeah, it's like it's, fat it's, shaming, cultural appropriation. Yeah. It just, by 2021 yeah. standards, it's, not so it's, good. It becomes, it's less witty and it's a lot more dumbed down sort of, felt, sort of, sort of comedy. Felt like a lot of bits going on, not really a cohesive, mm -hmm. cohesive yeah. story. And, and also, you know, in those movies, not only is it that the comedy is good, but like, you know, the, the comedy, I think, is, is less less appealing, but so much product placement in, yes. in, in movies two and three. It's just constant refer references to Starbucks and Heineken and Coke and Volkswagen and Chili's and Pepsi and AOL <laughs> and just, you know, this no, no, no shortage of of logos being dropped in. I, um, I think we know who paid for the movie. I think we know where the sure. money came from. That's yeah. Well, that's where the real money from the movie is made. <laughs> Tying it back to Spaceballs. Thank you, Ron. Yep. You're um, welcome. This is the biggest conclusion of the movie. And it's something that's very, very timely. All right. And this is for the QAnon people out there. Okay. There are multiple QAnon. <laughs> for all of our, our three QAnon followers <laughs> out there, all three of you. Okay. I think to QAnon people, they should stop going after the Clintons and they should start focusing their attention on Fat Bastard. Okay. So Fat Bastard is one of Dr. Evil's henchmen. And Fat mm -hmm. Bastard. He sees Mini-Me and he basically wants to eat Mini-Me. He says that you look like a baby. Get over here. I am going to eat you. I am higher yeah. up on the food chain than you. Higher up get, on the food get, chain. Get in my belly. Get in my belly. And he's, he admits to already having eaten a baby. Yes. So this is, you know, he's this re and, repeat offender. Yeah. And in case anybody out there has been under a rock, one of the many things that the QAnon people believe in is that there's a secret cabal of of pedophiles out there who eat babies so uh we got fat bastard on screen admitting to doing yeah. that right there we go so didn't want to get too dark there but it's an important point to bring up but another problem solved <laughs> we're just solving problems <laughs> left and right so everybody out there if you haven't done so already please subscribe to the podcast and and rate us like i said before it makes you feel so good about yourself to rate somebody else's work you can be the critic as long as it's yeah. five as long as it's five stars, yeah. Right, right, right. You can find us on all the major podcast streaming platforms. Rod, what are your, some of your favorite podcast streaming platforms that you could find our podcast on? I like Apple. I like Spotify. I like Stitcher. I like Google Play. I like Amazon. I like etc. You like all of them, et cetera. You like all of them. <laughs> I like all of them. You know, we would love to hear from you. I think sometime in the future, we're going to have a mailbag episode because of all the 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 mail we're getting we have a lot of questions to answer a lot of love yeah. to to you know give back Brad where and, can people where can people email us sure it's astalaviza at gibney.com that's h a s t a l a v i s a at gibney g i b n e y dot com and keep those comments coming in yeah and look I know a lot of you out there especially the younger generation you don't like email so much if you want to see us on Twitter on Instagram. If you want us to get on dating apps, just so you can contact us, you know, we'll get on JDate. We'll get on eHarmony. <laughs> we'll, yeah, but we'll get on, on Tinder. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll even, do, we'll, do we'll, we'll do Grindr. We'll do it all. We just want right, to, yeah. you know, so send us an email if you don't like email and tell us where you want us to, to show up. And that's where we're going to be. Cause Rod and I give the people what they want. We will come find you where you want to meet. <laughs> anywhere, anywhere, as long as it's legal. Sure. So, 
join us next time. We have another special episode for you. Rod and I are going back to 90s high school, something we both can relate to. And we're going to be talking about a movie known as American Pie, which centered on a bunch of high school students. But primarily, our focus will be a Eastern European exchange student named Nadia. So we're going to talk all about her visa issues. And Rod, you, you're a fan of the 90s, right? I sure am. And I haven't seen this movie in some time. So, so it'll be fun to, uh, to revisit. Oh, it's an appropriate movie. Definitely. <laughs> well, there comes a point in every podcast where we have to say our famous last words. And that is until next time. Hasta la vista, baby.